Father, we come before you, Lord. We thank you for this day. We thank you for your incredible mercies and your love. And despite sound system problems, uh, you are still God. You are still on the throne. You are still worthy of our praise because you still have dealt with our sin. And Father, we are grateful for that because without that, we would be stuck in our sins, unable to change, unable to uh, get to heaven, unable to ever uh, have a relationship with you. But Father, you've done the work, you've made the way, and you've provided uh, the path for us to walk on, that one day we might be uh, with you in eternity. And for that, we're grateful. So this morning, we just ask for your graces to be upon us, Lord. We ask that you would pour out your spirit upon us as we uh, lift up your name. In Jesus' name, amen. When the sea is calm and all is right When I feel your fever flood my life Even in the good I'll follow you Even in the good I'll follow you When the boat is tossed upon the waves When I wonder if you'll keep me safe even in the storms, I'll follow you. Even in the storms, I'll follow you. I believe, I believe everything that can save.
You can be seated if you like, or you can remain standing. It's up to you. Princes and paupers, sons and daughters, kneel at the throne of grace. Losers and winners, saints and sinners, one day we'll see his face.
Thank you. 
of all love songs I want to bring to you so I let my words be few Jesus I am so
Father, we do love you. But it is you who loved us first. From the foundations of the world, knowing the sin that man would fall into, and already having a plan to send your son to die on a cross in our place, a place that we earned. Yet, Father, you put yourself on that cross. And you allowed yourself as God to become a man to suffer the penalty for our sin. Perhaps a penalty greater than we'll ever understand. And so, Lord, we give you thanks and we give you praise for all that you have done. And we ask that you would speak to us through your word this morning. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Ah, so, how is everyone? I've been a busy little camper. I've got a lot of things at the back table and a lot of things to share with you. Um, I told you last week we'd start memorizing Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, which is the armor of God, and we are going to start that this morning. Tony's going to pass out to you. He's got two, two sheets. They're both Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. One's New King James, which we teach here. And one's the NASB. And the reason we have the NASB is that's what I memorized it in 35 years ago, and I'm not going to change now. And I just love it. But you pick which one you want and learn with me, okay? So we'll do that in a few minutes. Uh, a new website, calvarychapelspringcreek.org. That's what it's supposed to have been all along instead of .com. calvarychapelspringcreek.org. Larry did it. It's awesome. It's, it's great. It also works on your cell phone. Uh, excuse me, microphone. Um, and it's good, so check it out. Uh, you know, we don't uh, socially distance in this church. We don't wear many masks either, but I notice that our cars do. <laughs> What's up with that? No, I'm kidding. So you guys know about the church shoot, and uh, I have uh, a printout back there that gives you the circumstances, the rules, the times. We'll have refreshments, Gary's bus. Uh, Jason uh, Ut, pretty German, huh? Jason Ut. Uh, he'll be the instructor. He's the highway pa patrol uh, uh, instructor, and he's extremely skilled and very good. And... Um, so a lot of you carry guns. Uh, I've noticed over the years people will get permits and then they say I'm good with that and never get their gun out once a year and never shoot it. You have to shoot your gun all the time if you have a gun and want to carry one want to shoot one. Furthermore, if you want to carry one outside, open carry, that's fine in the state of Nevada. But if you want to conceal it or cover it up, you darn well better have a current active CCW. And just having it at home in the drawer isn't sufficient. You'll still go to jail. You have to have it on you. Amen? Okay, church shoot. Uh, time to get to the armor of God. Uh, well, he's still passing them out. Okay, then I did some more here. <clears throat> this is called serving requirements for Calvary Chapel. 
If you're in a ministry or want to be in a ministry, read this. See if you're doing these things. This is wonderful. And um, uh, number one is love. Number two, be an example. Number three, be faithful. Uh, number three, be a, or five, whatever it is, be a team player. Respect authority. Be a servant. You're called to be a servant. Uh, be a good steward. And last, attend weekly services. It's all backed by Scripture. Uh, it's good. And as I wrote on the last page, if you have any questions about it, ask a pastor. He'd love to help you and, and help you. Amen? Good? All right. Let me put this down here. So we're almost there. We're, uh, we're of course, in Acts today. And uh, we've got a couple of uh, very interesting uh, issues we're going to cover, cover in Acts. One, the the crippled man that's healed by Peter, one of the most, in my opinion, or one that I value, uh, a wonderful, wonderful account in the Bible of healing, Jesus' healing. And it makes so much sense. I mean, the way he approached it and what he said to the, the cripple, just superb. Uh, so we'll be getting to that in a few minutes. So I'm assuming that you made the difficult decision to choose between the New King James and the NASB, which is the New American Standard. I'm sorry for putting you through all that, but uh, now I'm going to, I can conceivably embarrass myself. That's not new, but I've told you before that when I put this armor on, I put it on. I just don't go, in the Lord, in Jesus, I, I do it. You're supposed to, this is a command. Finally be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. That isn't a recommendation or a suggestion. It's a command. We're going to break this into pieces. We're just going to do uh, verses 10 and 11 after I sneeze, maybe. Oh. You ever have to oh. And this hadn't gone away yet. Doggone it. All right. You guys know... If you don't know by now, you know I'm crazy. So. But Jesus loves you, and I love you too. Amen? Okay, so whether you've got the NASB or the New King James, they're very similar. Finally, that means in conclusion. We've come to this point. We've gone through this. Finally, I'm going to talk about this. It's called the armor of God. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. That's all I want you to do this week. Next week, we'll go to the second and third and fourth. That's enough. Put it on, copy it on your copying machine or copy it here. Put it in the mirror in your bathroom. Put one on the fridge. Put one in your car. Not in your line of sight, though. I've done that before. It can prove dangerous. <laughs> Amen. Pray before you memorize it every time you do for him to help you. Go through it 20, 30, 40 times. Then put the paper down and start saying it. Amen. Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And that's how I do it. I mean, uh, I'm normally a loner in, in my prayer room when I'm doing that or in my bedroom in between God and me, and that's fine. But I used to do it in Mogul walking around. And when you get to the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. I got the sword in this hand 
and I got the shield in this hand. This shield blocks all the flaming missiles of the evil one. So the missiles that Satan is shooting at you, the reason you're probably praying to put on the armor of God, that's what that's for. And we'll explain each one of those as we come to them. So are you good in that? That's your assignment should you choose to accept it. Amen? Amen? All right. I got something here from, uh, I better put that down. And I think we're about ready to start. We'll pray and, and jump in the Word. And of course, we have communion today, too. A lot of things going on. <clears throat> Father God, we come to you in the name of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're so thankful how much you love us. We just praise you. Praise you, Lord God, for, for all you do for us, your mercy, your kindness, your goodness. I'm trying to sneeze again, I'm sorry. Father, we uh, turn this morning over to you. That worship was absolutely splendid. Praise your name. What wonderful songs. How, just how blessed my heart was to sing those songs with the saints, the brothers. Uh, Father, we ask uh, that you teach through me this morning and open and prepare people's hearts to hear your word. And with that, we turn this over to you this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you're not already there, and it's probably yeah, it's up there, uh, Acts 2.40, that's where we're going to start. And let me go ahead and I'll just read through the lesson this morning, then we'll jump in it and break it down verse by verse. Uh, 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. This is very interesting. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. I don't believe these people were bickering and fighting. I believe they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and that's the only way this could possibly work. Can you see this group of people in the flesh trying to do this? No, no, not at all. And of course, that's true. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer. That would be the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried. Hold on. Boy, I don't know why I can't sneeze. And a certain man. You can't fake that either. You can't like... Well, you can fake it, but it's not successful. You're just kidding yourself. Because when you really sneeze, you really sneeze. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who entered the temple, who, seeing Peter and John about to go in the temple, asked for alms. 
And fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to re receive some, obviously, some money from them. Then Peter said, verse 6, Peter said, Silver and gold I don't have. I do not have. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Isn't that beautiful, you guys? Isn't that extraordinary, be extraordinarily beautiful? And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This guy had never walked from birth. So he leaping, leap, leaping, jumping up, and ankle bones received strength. And so he leaped up, stood, and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I'd be leaping too, wouldn't you? And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew that it was he who sat banging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. What an extraordinary account. Now the church is starting to grow. <clears throat> Let's uh, jump into it. First verse, 40. And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Nothing's changed, huh? Not all of Peter's messages recorded in this chapter, but the, the general theme, the remainder of his message was that the Jewish hearers should save themselves from the crooked, perverse generation that rejected and murdered the Lord Jesus. They could do this by receiving Jesus as their Messiah and Savior and by publicly disclaiming any further connection with the guilty nation of Israel through Christian baptism. And again, you know, baptism has nothing to do with salvation. 41, then those who gladly received his words were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. So there was a great, great surge, actually, of people coming up to be baptized, desiring to be baptized as Listen up. As an outward sign or evidence they had, that they had gladly received Peter's word as the Lord of God. That's what we're doing. Exclaiming, this is what's happening to me. I'm telling you publicly, I'm a changed creation. I'm a new man in Christ Jesus. He's remade me and remolded me, and I now have eternal life and salvation. And my sins have been washed away figuratively. And now I want you to know it. I'm so excited about this. I want you to know it. I remember when Elsa and I were baptized in the Truckee River in the winter. And I remember that distinctly. You know why? Of course you do. The water was so incredibly cold, but I was so filled with the Holy Spirit and so excited and so blessed. Nothing else mattered. Nothing else mattered. So thousands of people came to the, the Lord that day, and that's, that's a wonderful account. So if the best proof of a Holy Spirit ministry is the conversion of souls, then surely Peter's was that kind of ministry. Doubtless the Galilean fisherman was reminded of the words of the Lord Jesus when he said, I will make you fishers of men. The Lord said to me the same words in Tom Lutweiler's church in Reno the day he called me to come to Elko. Tom just said it out of his mouth. He was teaching it. I will make you fishers of men. I'll never forget it. 
and perhaps of the Savior saying, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, John 14, 12. It's in, instructive to notice the care with which the number of converts is recorded, uh, about 3,000 souls, but Jesus, uh, the Lord, the Father, God the Father had to record every detail in the Bible because later so many skeptics and critics and agnostics and uh, not believers would try to destroy the Word of God. They still are today. Nothing's changed. They're just as, just as avid as they were throughout history. We know they were all now born again believers just like you and me from one word in verse 44. And we'll get there in a bit. 42. And they continued, the people continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So the proof of reality is in the continuance, if you will. These converts prove the reality of the profession by continuing steadfastly in, number one, the apostles' doctrine. Uh, this means the inspired teachings of the apostles that were delivered orally at first, right? Just orally, because they didn't have the Bible. And now preserved in the New Testament. Fellowship, number two. Another evidence of new life was the desire, the new believers, to be with the people of God and share things in common with them. And boy, oh boy, this church sure has the love of fellowship. Uh, there was a sense of being separated to God from the world and a community of interests with other Christians. <clears throat> Number three, the breaking of bread, which has always been extremely important to this church, as you all know. We love to eat. We love to cook for you. I mean, I think the Thanksgiving dinner, I'm already thinking about it. <laughs> I just love our Thanksgiving dinner here and our men's breakfast. And before Kevin leaves, he has to make his pancakes, doesn't he? With those jumbo blueberries. Amen? Say amen. Come on. He needs his support. Breaking bread, this expression is used in the New Testament to refer both to the Lord's Supper and to eating a common meal. Uh, the meaning in any particular case must be determined by the sense of the passage. Today we're having communion. Here it is obviously it refers to the Lord's Supper since it would be quite unnecessary to say that they continued steadfastly eating their meals. See, that's not relevant. It's not important. That's, I'm just making the point. From Acts 20, verse 7, we learn that the practice of the early Christians was to break bread on the first day of the week. Now, during the early days of the church, a love feast was held in connection. This was agape love. Don't bring anything negative into this context. And in 2020, you easily could. I understand how you could. A love feast was held in connection with the Lord's Supper as an expression of the love of the saints for one another. And we have that. We have a tremendous love. When we couldn't meet for, what, eight, ten weeks? I don't know how long it was. You guys were getting downright mean. <laughs> Ornery. I'm telling you. We couldn't meet. And then, praise the Lord, finally, we don't care what they say we're meeting, Okay. Yeah, unless you have a personal relationship with Sisolak, and I doubt that, seriously. And that doesn't matter. Four, prayers. This was the fourth principal practice of the early church, prayer. 
and express complete dependence on the Lord for worship, guidance, preservation, and service. Amen? 43, then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Well, a sense of reverential awe came over the people. The mighty power of the Holy Spirit was so evident that hearts were hushed and subdued. You, you get in the picture? Astonishment filled their souls as they saw the apostles performing many wonders and signs. Wonders were miracles which created wonder and amazement. Signs were miracles designed to convey instruction. A miracle could be both a wonder and a sign. Just think about what it would have been like to have been there. Oh, so awesome. 44, 44 and 45. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possession and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. How many times have you guys read that? 44 and 45. Quite a lot, I hope, collectively through this church. I remember the first time I read it. And uh, I said, why don't we do that? And that's a legitimate question, isn't it? Is it possible? Yes, it's possible. But you would have to have people uh, desiring to be filled with the Holy Spirit, seeking God, walking with God. Uh, and I'll talk about that more a little more uh, this morning. But uh, the potential for problems is high. <clears throat> so now all who believed were together. And they were talking about the people, the 3,000 people that were just baptized. Of course, they would have been. Uh, the word believed, you've heard it many times, you've been here any length of time, you know it's on Elsie's license plate, uh, Strong's 4100, pisteo, or pist pistuo in the English, pisteo in the Greek. To believe in God, to trust in Him as able and willing to help and answer prayer. Generally to believe in the declarations and character of God as made known in the gospel, meaning to believe and rest upon, to believe in and profess. I'll read it again. Meaning to believe and rest upon, to believe in and profess. That would be verbally profess. The believers continually assembled together and held all things in common trust. So mightily, was the love of God shed abroad uh, in their hearts that they didn't look upon their material possessions as their own. That's a whole subject. Whole subject, especially with me. I have church stuff at the house. We have tons of church stuff at the house because even with two storerooms, uh, there's so much stuff there from, from tools and nuts and bolts to uh, coolers for... Uh, cool things and stuff. And then for the barbecue, we have at Lamoille and all the stuff. There's so much stuff at our house. Whose is it? It's God's. So I'm going to share my stuff with God. Of course I am. But it's not my stuff. Everything is his stuff to me. That's just the way it is. Everything is his. I mean, you think you're a landowner and you own land? Well, how, how long are you going to own that? It's all his. And once you're comfortable with that, you're good. So, uh, 
mightily, I'll, I'll go over this again if I haven't. So mightily was the love of God shed abroad in their hearts that they didn't look upon their material possessions as they owned. They had to be filled with the Holy Spirit. They had to share that love because you have no possessiveness in that, that, those material things. You don't care anymore. You don't care. Uh, whenever there was genuine case of need in the fellowship, and there would have been constantly, right? Whenever there was a, a need, they sold, collectively sold property and distributed the proceeds. Now, there's insurance programs out there in America that Christians, if you're young enough, I'm too old to get into that, but younger guys can get in and you share everyone's uh, insurance costs. And I think they're quite successful. That's my understanding. I, I knew I tried to get in one, but w when you reach uh, 100 or 105, you can't, get, you can't get them anymore, you know? <laughs> there you go. Thus there was an equality among those who believed there was a unity of heart and interest in which the natural selfishness, is that fair to say? The natural selfishness of the unsaved or pre-saved condition was replaced by God's love, agape love, and that took care of it. But that's a very unique experience. They were together in that all they had was held in common. Not by any law or outward constraint, which would have spoiled it all, but in the consciousness of what they were all to Christ and what Christ was to each and all of them. Here was a group of people, every one of them filled with the Holy Spirit. Enriched by him with a blessing which nothing could diminish, but the more they ministered it, the more they had it. Does that make sense? Half full, half empty? The, the glass flowing over when you're filled with the Holy Spirit? They sold their possessions and goods and distribu distributed them to all as one had need. <clears throat> so, have you ever asked why we don't do this? I have. Uh, first, we would need enough people filled with the Holy Spirit. And of course, the devil would put everything he had into sowing seeds of discord, wouldn't he? I mean, he would have legions of demons attacking people in him 24-7, 365, which gets back to the armor. I frequently, every day, not once, sometimes twice, normally twice, three times, sometimes five, six, seven times, put on that armor. And I put it on. And I'm not ashamed of that because I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I might look like an idiot, but who cares? I want that armor on. Amen? And of course, the devil would put everything in the sowing the seeds of discord. The devil also uses this in some cults and communes. Uh, not in the exact manner because it's, it's tainted, of course, by Satan. Is it possible in this day and age? I have to say, uh, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, can't I? So if enough people want to do and they were serious and filled with the Holy Spirit, yes, it could be done again. The sharing of all one's real estate and personal property was the inevitable fruit of lives that were filled with the Holy Spirit. My concern is that we are the church of Laodicea. Are we not? If you don't know, we are. We're the church of Laodicea. Uh, you can turn to Revelation 3.15 if I give you a sec. I must have left my coffee back there by Larry. 
I'll have to have a water instead. Not quite as satisfying. No, buddy, I'm okay. I'll make it. I got this. Thanks. So, Revelation 3.15, Jesus said, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you're neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth, because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So you might think you're rocking. You might think you got it. You might think everything's ham and jam. But in fact, this is what the Lord Jesus thinks. You're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Pretty, pretty scary, huh? I think so. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. That you may be made rich and white garments that you may be clothed, that this shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. Then he says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. Say it every day, every day, sometimes many times in the day, because we have to remember to submit to him and give it to him. 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Uh, our This church started in our home. Many Calvaries started in people's homes. Uh, some of the great fellowship. That's why in normal years we go every year to someone's house. Uh, it's been Josh's lately. And we break bread and uh, eat more than we should uh, every time we meet uh, and have fellowship. And it's wonderful. Everybody just loves it. We love to do that. And, and because we're fulfilling our needs as Christians with our brothers and sisters and and you're all familiar with it because you all love to participate in it. So again, continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. So this verse gives the effect of Pentecost on religious life and home life. <coughs> As a religious life, we have to remember that these early convents, or converts, I'm sorry, Converts were of Jewish background. Now, that right there tells you a lot if you're familiar with the Old Testament and what went on. Now, although the church was now in existence, the ties with the Jewish temple were not severed immediately. Now, there's ramifications. There were still Jews by nationality, but the religion was now Christianity. They were no longer Jews from a religious perspective. But the process of change came very slowly and painfully, like the men of the circumcision. Okay, well, you might not have to obey all the Mosaic laws, but you have to be circumcised. And, of course, Peter got involved in that, and, and so did Paul. But uh, to, to change these people from, from Jews, and then once you, the Bible is written and you know, I mean, uh, once you become a Christian, you're a Christian. You're you're Jew by nationality and heritage, but uh, you're a Christian. 
The process continues throughout the period of the, of the book of Acts. For example, we see that circumcision, for example, played a huge role. In Galatians 2.11, it speaks of Paul rebuking Peter. Paul rebuking Peter for withdrawing from the Gentiles to eat with the Jews over circumcision. So we had those emotions and feelings and political correctness and jealousy and all those emotions in as we do today. Nothing's changed. Nothing's new under the sun. I guess we'd call this religious political correctness today, huh? And so believers continued to attend the services in the temple. And they were where they heard the Old Testament read and expounded. In addition, of course, they met together in homes for the function listed in verse 42. As to their home life, we read that they broke bread, taking their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Here it seems clear that the breaking of bread refers to the eating of regular meals. The joy of their salvation overflowed into every detail of life. The day-to-day life took on an aura of glory. 47. <clears throat> Praising God and having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So at the outset, the believers had favor with all the people. But unfortunately, this wasn't to last. The nature of the Christian faith is such that it inevitably stirs up the hatred and opposition of the human heart. It's called the flesh. The Savior warned his disciples to beware of popularity in Luke 6.26 and promised them, here it is, if you're a Christian, if you love Jesus, if you're walking with him, if, you, if you're on the bench, you're not if you don't have any grass stains, but if you're in the game, if you're in the game of Christianity, here's the deal. <clears throat> and promise them persecution and tribulation. It's inevitable, brothers and sisters. We're all going to have it from time to time. Pastors certainly have it. Uh, uh, difficulty, but that's part of Christianity. What do you do about it? Just have a bad day and Bump your car into other cars on the way to work? No. You put on the armor. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition. Philippians 4, 6, 7. You've memorized that scripture, so that's the time to use it. When you're mad, when you're angry, when you're in trouble, when you want to fire the twin 50s on your dashboard. That's right. They're not real. Hopefully, they just make that noise, you know, how awesome that is. I don't have them on mine, okay? If they're under the, you can't see them. <laughs> the Savior warned his disciples to beware of popularity and promise and persecution and tribulation. Matthew 10, 23. So this favor was a temporary phase soon to be replaced by unrelenting opposition. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. The Christian fellowship grew by conversions each and every day. Hallelujah. Those who heard the gospel were responsible except Jesus Christ by a definite act of the will. The Lord's electing and adding does not rule out human responsibility. Uh, side note, I printed some of the uh, uh, the. the printout that we have on Calvinism and 
Ar Armenianism. Pastor Chuck did it. It's the best I've ever seen in all my years. I've read books this thick by Dave Hunt on Calvinism and Armenianism. And I said last week, the reason it's so difficult for us to understand is man came up with it. God didn't. It's man's opinion. But that summarizes so beautifully. It's that, that uh, horizontal one on a legal paper. It has blueprinting on it in the back if you want. And if you, you take all those, I'll print some more. So anyway, back to the, uh, to the teaching at hand. In this chapter, then, we have had the account of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, Peter's memorable address to the assembled Jews, the conversion of a great multitude of people, and a brief description of life among the early believers. An excellent uh, resume of the latter was given in the Encyclopedia, Encyclopedia Britannica, 13th edition in the article on church history. The most notable thing about the life of the early Christians was their vivid sense of being a people of God, called and set apart. The Christian church in their thought was a divine, not a human institution. It was founded and controlled by God, and even the word was created for its sake. This conception controlled all the life of the early Christians, both individual and social. They regarded themselves as separate from the rest of the world and bound together by peculiar ties. And nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. That's as applicable today as it was then. Their citizenship was in heaven, not on earth. That's something we struggle with because we really only operate in one realm, in the realm we live in and function in and talk in, that dimension. That's, a, I guess, another way to explain it. But the reality is, our eternity's in heaven. We're only here for a minute. Now, it doesn't seem like a minute because it'll be 60, 70, 80, 90 years, whatever it is. Uh, and you look back over my life, I can't believe that I've been married to Elsie 48 years. But it, and, and, and I can't believe we're getting old. This is the first time I've ever been old, so it's all new to me. <laughs> We have bottles of Advil and Tylenol in the house, and you know. But he still blesses our socks off, amen? All right. So let's see where I left off. The citizenship, again, was in heaven, not on earth, and the principles and laws by which they strove to govern themselves were from above. I was talking with J.J. yesterday, and I said, we got to keep looking up. We have to keep looking up all the time. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because when he comes back and he hasn't told us when, and we won't know when he'll come in a millisecond, won't he? If we're doing something we shouldn't be doing, how shameful that would be. We don't want to be like that. Amen? In the everyday life of Christians, the Holy Spirit was present, and all the Christian graces were the fruits. The fruit of the Spirit. How long has it been since you've even remembered that? Love, joy, peace. Do you operate in that? I prayed that this morning when I came down here that I would be operating in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. I changed one word to patience. It's long-suffering in the New King James. The result of this belief was to give their lives a pe peculiarly enthusiastic or inspirational character. Theirs was not the everyday experience of ordinary men, 
but of men lifted up out of themselves and transported into a higher sphere. We're different. We think differently. We talk differently. We're blessed. We have a relationship with our Creator. And how wonderful is that, you guys? Take advantage of it. Get close to Jesus. Boy, I just pray for everybody that you do. Now, here's a very wonderful miracle. A lame man is healed. Uh, we're going into chapter 3. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the house of prayer the ninth hour, 3 p.m. When Peter and John went up together to the temple in Jerusalem, as mentioned previously, the early Jewish Christians continued to attend the temple services for some time after the church was formed. This was a period of adjustment and transition, and the break with Judaism was not made instantaneously. Believers today would, uh, would not be justified in following their example in this, since we have full revelation of the New Testament and are told to go forth to him outside the camp bearing his reproach, Hebrews 13, 13, also 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18. Verse 2, and a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, so from birth, right, was carried. Every day he had to be carried. Didn't have wheelchairs and things like that. Uh, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called beautiful, to take alms from those who entered the temple. In other words, he was a beggar. As they approached the temple, they saw men carrying a crippled beggar to the his customary spot, so they saw this as they were walking up John and Peter. And the gate where, or where they were going was called Beautiful. Now the helpless condition of this man, lame since birth, is in marked contrast to the beauty of the architecture of the temple. That, that was a beautiful place, and it, 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 it didn't fit perfectly for them. Three, who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them for alms. So he asked them for, for money, if you will. And the lame man had obviously given up hope of ever being cured, so he contented himself to begging for a handout. For in fixing his eyes on him with John, Peter said, Look at us. He said to the beggar, Look at us. Instead of looking on this man as a helpless wretch, Peter saw him as one in whom the mighty power of God might be demonstrated. If we're led by the Spirit, we'll fix our eyes on those whom God intends to bless, instead hiding from our job for Christ. Peter commanded, look at us. It wasn't intended to attract public publicity to John and himself, but merely to ensure the undivided attention of the beggar. Charles Stanley says, say amen. I mean, uh, be cognizant of what's going on. We all love Charles here. Charles getting old too, isn't he? God bless him. Verse 6, then Peter said, and this is so profound, and this is so extraordinary. He said to the beggar, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Wow. Still expecting nothing more than financial help, the cripple gave them his attention. Then he heard an announcement that was probably in a millisecond 
uh, both disappointing and yet thrilling to him the minute he comprehended what he just said. As far as a handout was concerned, Peter had nothing to give, but he had something far better to give, didn't he? By the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, he commanded the lame man to rise up and walk. <laughs> Pastor Chuck did that once. Somebody came up and asked him to pray for him. His father was in a wheelchair, and he thought that's what he wanted to pray for. And he prayed that, get up and walk. And the guy did. He got up and walked around the sanctuary down in Costa Mesa. And then he said, then he found out later his father had just had a cold and he wanted to pray for him. He already could walk. <laughs> it's one of those embarrassing moments, huh? It's said that Thomas Aquinas visited the Pope at a time when large sums of money were being counted. And if you don't know about that, there were large sums of money being counted. And how they got the money was absolutely fraudulent. The Pope boasted, we no longer need to say with Peter, silver and gold I do not have. The Pope said, in other words, we got so much money we don't know what to do. And Aquinas replied to him, and I quote, listen to this, neither can you say with Peter, rise up and walk. Wow. El Slamo, right? Seven, and he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. This man had never walked. The ligaments, the muscles, the bones, the tissue. I mean, it was just very weak. And immediately it went full on strong. As Peter helped the man to his feet, supernatural strength flowed into his previously useless feet and ankle bones. Here we're reminded again that in the spiritual life, there is a curious mingling of the divine and the human. Peter helps the man to his feet as God has already performed the cure. We must do what we can do. Then God will do what we cannot do. You with me? All right. Eight, so he, the beggar, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with him, walking, leaping, and praising God. Well, I, I sure would. I can't jump very high, but I would be jumping as high as I possibly could, I'm sure. The miracle of healing was immediate, not gradual. Notice how the Spirit of God multiplies words of action and movement. Leaping up, stood, walked, and entered, walking, leaping. When we remember the slow, painful process an infant goes through in learning to walk, we realize how wonderful it was for this man to walk and leap immediately for the first time in his life. This, man, this miracle performed in the name of Jesus was a further testimony to the people of Israel that the, that the one they had crucified was alive and was willing to be their healer and savior. 9 and 10, And all the people saw him walking and praising God. Then they knew it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Amen, amen. The fact that the beggar had lain daily at the door of the temple made him a very familiar sight to the people, right? Uh, now that he was healed, the miracle was necessarily generally known. And the people could not deny that a mighty miracle had taken place. But what was the meaning of it all? Well, you know, and we'll continue on next week. We're going to have communion now. So uh, if uh, Gary and uh, Rob would...
start to pass out the elements and the worship band can come up here. And I'll have some water. got so many papers and things up here today. A little confusing, but we'll make it. Uh, if those they have, once once you get the elements, just hold on to them, and we have the new little uh, cup that's sealed and the little bread that's sealed. So you're all familiar with that now. That's because of the coronavirus. Uh, communion is something that born-again Christians do, and they do it in remembrance of the Lord, and what he did on the cross for them. If you're not born again, uh, I would ask that instead you consider accepting the Lord Jesus as your Savior. And if you want to follow along with what I'm reading, from 1 Corinthians 11, 23, 29, this is Paul talking to the Lord Jesus. He said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. That's what it's about. Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Verse 29, For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats, drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. So in verses 27 and 28, therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup in an unworthy manner, in verse 28, but let a man examine himself to come to the Lord's table clinging to or holding on to any sin. It not only dishonors the ceremony, but it also dishonors our, our Christ's body and blood, treating lightly the incredible sacrifice that Jesus made for us on our behalf. So it's, so it's a time for us to examine ourselves and to say to any sin that we have before the Lord, it's a time to examine yourself in his light and repent of anything that's standing between you and Christ Jesus. Then confess your sins to him. In other words, it's a time to get right with him. And it's the only religion that has it and does it. It's an extraordinary gift from our Lord Jesus Christ to us to go to him in prayer, commune with him, talk to him, get right with him. So let's bow our heads in prayer now, go to the Lord, and then in a while I'll come back to you and we'll take the cup together.
Thank you, Lord, for your forgiveness of our sins because we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Thank you for your tender mercies, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We praise you, Lord. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Followed by the grape juice. Mine needed a little more time on the vine. A little more sugar, huh? Thank you, Lord. We praise you and thank you. Let's worship the Lord now. Antonio? Would you stand? You are the 
so much, Lord, for this day you've given us, for this beautiful Sunday, for the time to learn your word, go over your word, have understanding, time to fellowship with each other. Lord, your blessings are so great. We love you and thank you. Father, we look forward to a wonderful week with you. Reminder, a Tuesday night prayer, Wednesday night service, book of Judges, and then, uh, of course, next Sunday, where we'll continue on in Acts. Father, we just praise you and thank you for so much. One more thing that just came on my mind is if you have friends that haven't been baptized and in conversation, invite them and make sure you get them signed up on the list because uh, they have to go to the, the, the little small school that Tony is going to have to teach them, Tony and Josh probably. But, uh, so that's very important that you have the understanding. Uh, of what's going on with you in respect to baptism. Father, we praise you and thank you and turn this week over to you in Jesus' name. And all of God's children said... <laughs>